Psalm 74, please. Psalm 74. Reading from verse 1 down to verse 11. The 74th Psalm. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Forever? Why does thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Notice the thy, thy. Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, which thou has dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy has done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst, badden up in the roar outside. The enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensign for signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees. But now they break down the carved work thereof at once, at, at once with axes and hammer. They have cast fire into the sanctuary they have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They burnt up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs, there is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long, O oh God, how long, Shall the adversary approach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. And so reads the word of the Lord. None of the Bible scholars or commentators that I have read can place and put the psalm into positively into a biblical scriptural context. Most popular one is, and probably is the right one, I don't know, is when Jerusalem was invaded by the Assyrians. The temple was desecrated, flattened, and the people were taken into the 70 years captivity in Babylon. Others think it may refer to the times of 
Hezekiah, whenever Sennacherib surrounded the city and tried to starve them out. Some others think that it's not something that's recorded in the Scriptures at all. There are two Asaphs, and they're not decided, all of them, which Asaph penned this psalm. But while it's not positively, positively historically identified, it certainly is geographically. Because we read in these verses about the temple, Mount Zion, the dwelling place, the sanctuary, the synagogues, all point to Jewish capital of Jerusalem. So there's no doubt that we're at the temple and we're at Jerusalem. And prophetically and typically, it, this psalm refers to the present-day situation in which the evangelical church has found themselves in. I suggest to you that the first 11 verses describe sadly, pitifully, the state of a modern evangelical church in this 21st century. For the next couple of Lord's Day mornings, I want to preach to you from this psalm. And I want to preach to you under the heading of Psalm 74, verses 20, 24. That's the title for my messages. Psalm 74, verses 20, 24. What I want to do this morning, I want to give you three headings. And then I want to open up and set the scene for next week and the week after or whenever the Lord shows me to stop preaching on it whenever he stops showing me things from it. The first thing that we see in, this, in these verses that we read this morning is the psalmist's investigation into the situation generally. And I want to say that again. We see the psalmist's investigation into the situation generally in his day. You see, twice we have the word why in verse 1. Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open. We need to hear the Word of God. We need to watch the Word of God. We need God to speak to us. You will notice that in verse 1, the word why is twice. And in verse 11, you have it again. So there's three whys. You see, friends, the situation is this with the psalmist and with us too. We can't come to the Lord in prayer if we don't know what we're praying for. We, we need to hear from God. We need to know from God how to pray. What way are we going to pray? We need to know how to pray that the, how this situation is going to be resolved. And to have it resolved, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the source. We have to go to the kernel of the problem. Or else we're just praying and losing time. And that's what the psalmist says. He, he, he's saying here, he, he, he's investigating why the mighty house of God, Jerusalem and God and all that he has promised and done, why is it? That is, they're in such a state. And it's added to also, of course, by the fact that he, 
it says in verse 1 that he has abandoned the sheep. That's an awesome statement. Thy smoke against the sheep of thy pastor, his sheep. He has left the sheep. He has left the flock. He has left them to the predators, to the wolves, and to the jackals, and to the bears. But not only that, he brings judgment upon them. He has lit the fuse. He has struck the match. There's a smoke coming on the, the fire of judgment that's about to come on his people. I tell you, if you just set your eyes and think about that verse, he's going to burn up the flock. There's no smoke without a fire. There's smoke. This is completely against the nature of God. It's completely against the Word of God. It's completely against the heart of God. The Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd is abandoning the sheep. Psalm 23, what do you do with it? Isaiah 40, what do you do with it? Ezekiel 34, what do you do with this? Let me stop here a moment and say this this morning. Very categorically. Before the evangelical church in Northern Ireland and before the lifeboat here at this corner, which we are responsible for, takes one step out into 2024, we need to pull the reins. We need to slam on the brakes and we need to launch an inquiry. We need a spiritual tribunal. It's stuck taking time today. In that parable of the steward, didn't the Lord say to them, Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward of my tithes, of my money, of my word, of my blessings. I take them from you. The very reason, friends, that we are having a week of prayer is to do this very thing. And I'm calling all people in the church, members or associates who ever come to this church, I'm calling you to prayer. The elders, the deacons, the members, the Sunday school staff, the Friday night workers, the organists, the singers, the youth, and everybody else that has anything to do with this assembly, I'm calling you to prayer. Do we find out why the church is in the state that it's in? Not so much our church, and it's in a state too, mind you. We have to find out why he has withdrawn his power. Look at verse 11. Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand that speaks of power, out of thy bosom? Why, Lord, why, why? You ever consider why? Do you remember when they were building the temple in Ezra's day? 
They said, how do you see the things of God, the temple now? How do you see it in compared to the olden days? And they said, no comparison. There's no comparison with the early church, this church. And let me say this, there's no comparison 50 years ago with the church in Ulster as it is today. And if you claim to be a Christian and claim to be part of it and claim to be in the work of God or anything to do with Christianity, you need to dig in your heels and you need to say, what's wrong? And if you're not concerned, you're hard to, if you're, are you concerned? Are we concerned? What worldly business would put up with the church the way it is? What directors, what chairman, what board of governors, what shareholders would continue to pour out all the resources, all their time, all their energy for little results? Why would they do it to be so unfruitful, unviable, unproductive, They'd either close it down, put the shutters up, sack the employment, or else they'd call for an investigation. An immediate investigation. And place the whole shing bang into receivership. And that's what the church means over to the devil and over to the world. And hear what I'm saying this morning. This message was born in the early hours in prayer. Talk about the children of the world being wiser than the children of light. Ask the average minister or the average pastor, how, how are things in the church? The majority of them will say, good. We're, we're, we're taking over. The numbers are good and the youth good and, and we're taking over. There's an odd soul and there's an odd baptism and we're getting on well. Do you know why they say that? They say that because they compare their church with other churches. We're getting on well, a man said. We're getting on as well as any other church. But we are comparing ourselves with the Laodicean church. That's what we're comparing ourselves with. And what Jesus said about the Laodicean church is the modern church of today. I know thy works. That thou art neither cold nor hot. You know, I could spend time all morning at that word cold or hot. You're either cold or you're hot. You're either on fire for God or you're not. You're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. He would rather have a man, I, he'd rather have an unsaved man than a, than a carnal Christian. I would that, God, that, that you were cold or hot, but you're miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked. They're starting new churches and new assemblies all over the place, and they're putting all fancy and different names on it. Most of it's not of God as far as I can see. Here's a name. Why don't they put this on? Miserable, wretched, poor, blind, naked.
This is this, 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 this is the Laodicean church. And he called the Laodicean church to repent. What right have pastors and ministers and leaders to book cruises when the gospel ship is sinking round them? What right have we to book holiday houses and homes when God's house lies waste? What right have we to go on sabbaticals when the Sabbath day has been desecrated by God's people? This is something that you will be hearing from this psalm because this psalm, I don't know of any other psalm and I don't know of any other Old Testament scripture that does depict the church in her present state. The sheep, the shepherd is gone. Oh, you say that's awful hard. Well, you read your word. So the first thing that we'll be looking at is the investigation generally into the situation. The second thing we'll be looking at is the investigation spiritually into the congregation. Look at verse 2. You have the congregation there. Now look at verse 4. You have the congregation there. I hope you're looking at this now in your Bible. Look at it, verse 19. You have the congregation there. Now, the congregation is simply the meeting place. It was a name given where they gathered out. It was a name given for the synagogue. So what the Holy Spirit is doing here, he's coming in closer now. He has changed the searchlight for a spotlight. He has generally looked at the thing, and now specifically he's closing in. He's going into the congregation Leave all the other churches and all the other assemblies outside the door and let them come into the lifeboat this morning. Don't worry about those. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. For verse 4, and we'll be looking at this next week, says the enemies roar in the midst. Of course, the enemy that roars is the lion and the lion's in the midst and we'll be looking at that. So I want to leave those two headings this morning and I want to go on to give you the third heading. And the third heading is an awesome heading. There's a lamentation spiritually into the desecration. Look at verse 3. There's a lamentation, sorry, there's three times he speaks about the desolation. Six times he uses the word, oh, this is the lamentation, the lamentation because of the desolation. And that is the word used, the word is used there of desolation. That word, my friend, the lamentation is an oh from the heart. And you have it six times. Now you must mark these with me. You have it in verse 1, oh. You have it in verse 10, oh. You have it in verse 18, oh. You have it in verse 19, oh. You have it in verse 21, oh. You have it in verse 22, oh. Oh, God. 
Three times he tells them, three times the psalmist cries to God to remember. Verse 2, verse 18, and verse 22. Lo, God, remember us. O God, have mercy on us. O God, come down amongst us. That's what we will be doing next week. O God, when we can't get words to explain, we'll say, Oh God, we need something. We need you to do something. We need you to move. We are not content with things the way they are. We're not content, Lord. I want to close now this morning, and I'm going to be over at 12 o'clock, or maybe even before. I want to close this morning with this first lamentation in verse 1. And here it is. O God, why hast thou cast us off? And I think there should be a full stop there. I know there's a question mark. Forever? Forever? Is this the way, Lord, that it's going to be? Is this all we can expect? Have we to tolerate with this another year? With all your power, with all your authority, with all your might, with all your promises, have we just to put up with this for another year? Bad enough to face the fact that he had withdrawn and hidden his power and put his hand of power into his bosom. You know, I'm sure that these people knew why he had withdrawn to the measure, because they knew the Scriptures, they knew that God said, where there's sin and idolatry and wickedness amongst the people, he says, I will withdraw from them until they repent. They would have known that Scripture. I don't think that's their great problem. And what makes me think that this may be and it may not be the Babylonish captivity, they knew also on many scriptures, two in particular, where he said it would be 70 years. But the, 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 the cry of this man's heart is, Lord, is this the way it's going to be Forever. Paul in Romans 11 says, has God cast away his people? God forbid. Let's bring it into a personal note this morning. Have you and I never asked the Lord why? Why has this happened to me? Why am I, if I'm one of the sheep of your pasture, and the one, as we will say, that you have, we will see that has been redeemed by thy blood and, and, and brought into the kingdom, why, why am I in the situation that I'm in? Does your word not say, do you not say, Lord Jesus, do you not say, my sheep hear my voice? I can't, I don't hear your voice. Lord, you're not speaking to me. Why? Why is my life so up and so down? 
Why is my marriage in the state that it's in? Do you ever ask those questions? Why have I no desire to read your word and get up an hour earlier? Why have I no desire to remember the dear Lord that died for me? Why have I no desire for prayer? We have to be honest this morning. Why has this sickness come to me? Why, why has the cancer come, the Parkinson come, the stroke has come to me? Why is my health in the state that it's in? Why have I no job? Why are my children out in the world drinking and drugs and all the rest of it and the other ones are in the assembly and in the prayer meetings? Why, why, why? Don't you ask. Don't, don't say you don't. Why did you take my wife? Why did you take my child? I came across this verse in Ecclesiastes 8 and say, don't, don't turn to it. And it spun into my heart. Be not hasty. Be not in a hurry to go out of my sight. For he doeth whatsoever he pleaseth. Who can say what doest thou? We can ask God questions, but we cannot question God. And it's only right and only natural for us to ask God questions. You know, my friend, if we ask God a question about things in our life, we have to wait for the answer. And we have to take this old book that God has given to us for he has the answers here. And we'll have to do what the psalmist did. We'll have to, have to be an investigation. The scalpel will have to go into the heart because there is a heart of the problem. There's a heart to the problem. And until we get right into the very kernel of the problem, we will not see healing, we will not see blessing. Let me say this, and I say it lovingly this morning. It may be my last New Year's Day, Lord Day, more, maybe. Let me say this from all my heart this morning. Don't you expect your children to get saved or to go on with the Lord? If you're not, don't you expect them to be in the prayer meetings around the Lord's table if you're not? You'll damn them. You'll be the cause of them backsliding. And judgment will be on you at the judgment seat, for you have a responsibility. Do you hear that? This is serious business now. And stop running from church to church and place to place and meeting to meeting. Get in behind some work of God and stay with it and stand with it.
spiritual gypsies everywhere. This is a call now from the heart of God this morning, not from my heart, from the heart of God. That we need to investigate and we need to find out and we need to discover before we can pray. We need to know what to pray and how to pray. Listen to the text again there in Ecclesiastes. Be not hasty to go out or to leave him. For he doeth whatsoever he pleaseth. And you'll not change that. And then I close with this. He pleads the words of Scripture. Look at verse 2. He comes in with one of these, remember, Lord, remember, Lord, remember. I tell you, this man knew how to pray. And he comes in on the premise of the cross and the premise of the blood. And look at what he says in verse 2. He says, remember thy congregation, Lord, which thou, thou, don't forget to mark the thou, which thou hast purchased of old and thou hast redeemed. That's where we're going to start next week, somewhere around there. Oh God, he says, don't forget us. You have purchased us with the blood. You brought us out of Egypt. You've slain the Passover lamb. You've blessed us. As he has blessed you and me, my friend, with the man and the quails down through through 2023. The pillar of fire by night and cloud and the water out of the rock and every provision in our homes are full. Lord, he, he, he pleads on the premise of his people. But then he goes on and he pleads in the premise of the place. He says, Thou hast redeemed from this Mount Zion where thou hast dwelt. That's the temple he's talking about, the house of God. Where he once dwelt. Oh, we want him back again. We need him back again. And then he pleads on the premise of the possession. He says, we're your inheritance. And the promises, we're your inheritance, Lord. You bought us, you, we belong to you. Oh God, I tell you, he knows how to pray. We're going to give him no peace or no rest. We're going, to, we're going to plead the blood. We're going to plead the cross. We're going to plead the victory of Calvary night after night and say, Lord, Lord, did you die for this? Is this all we can expect? Is this all Calvary can give us? What a nonsense. 
We need to get a hold of God, and we will, my friend. And when we start to plead the promises like this, we'll be able to come into the end of this chapter, into the end of this chapter 74, where the shame will be lifted. It says down there that the shame will be lifted. And the glory will come, and the joy will come. And praise God, it's going to come. For we believe it, and we'll plead it. Amen.